0: Hey, you're listening to the Kingdom Church Podcast, and we're so glad you're joining us. Today, we have Pastor Jeremy Wolfram from Saints Church in Edmonton. Just give an amazing word, going through the book of Jude, and the importance of God's word, the Bible, in our lives. Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them up uh, to Jude, the book of Jude. And uh, I'm going to read a portion of scripture from here. If you don't know where Jude is in the Bible, it's right before Revelation, usually where you stop your Bible reading because you're getting scared. And you don't want to get too close to Revelation and finish your Bible reading plan, but uh, Jude is this little tiny book right before uh, Revelation, and I had this idea that I'm going to lead our church through the book of Jude in three messages, and I should have taken about uh, seven to nine messages to do it, but that's okay. Uh, and what I want to do this morning is I want to read a, a short portion of the book of Jude, And then we're going to read a couple verses in Ephesians of what uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And then we're going to read out of Deuteronomy 11, okay? So you you need to just, I can't read all of the scripture, but if you think about it later, read Deuteronomy 11. You want to know how to live your life and raise your family for God? Read Deuteronomy chapter 11. We're going to pull some scriptures from there uh, because I believe that God wants to speak some things uh, into our hearts as individuals. But I also think like... As the church right now, where we are in culture and in this time and in this moment, uh, we got to come back to some of the things that it's amazing to me that from Moses to Joshua to Paul to Jude, it's all throughout the Bible. They remind us of the very same things. Uh, and so I'm going to read this, then we're going to pray and get into the Word. So Jude, it's only one chapter, verses 1 to 4 is this. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace and love, dear friends. I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we share. But now, everyone say but now. I find that I must write about something else. See, this is what happens to preachers all the time. We're like, God... I want to preach this on fire, encouraging rally message so revival comes and the church becomes all that it can be and people are inspired and then you study and God says, no, 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 you need to to tell them about this. And as preachers, sometimes you're like, God, I don't want to talk about that. And God's like, well, you're going to talk about that. And, and, and Jude is in this same place, the writers of Scripture. He says, hey, I want to talk to you about how great your salvation is, the mercy, the love, the peace of God, all those amazing things. He goes, but now I, I have to write to you about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted to you once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some, everybody say some. Some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. That that took a steep turn from like grace, salvation, the goodness of God, all true, all good things. But this is like, even in your churches, we have some people that have tried to say that the grace of God allows us to live however we want. Let's let's skip over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17. Uh, Paul says this. He says, be careful. Everyone say, be careful. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This was written 2,000 years ago. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then we're going to jump all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 8 says this at the very beginning. says, therefore, be careful. Deuteronomy 11, verse 16 says, but be careful. Don't let your heart be deceived. Everyone say, be careful. Be careful. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much today for your word. I thank you that you speak to us in such real and potent ways deep in our heart and in our soul. And God, I just pray this morning that uh in the words that you've given me and the things that I speak, Lord, you would, you would touch our hearts and you would move in a way that allows us to be formed and fashioned into the men and women of God that you've called us to be so our churches can be the light that we need to be for the world in which we live. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I find it interesting that uh, for Moses, he keeps saying when he reminds the people on how they should live and how they should walk and they've come through the wilderness and they're about to enter the promised land. He says over and over again in Deuteronomy chapter 11, just be careful. Be very careful. Be careful how you live. Be careful that you're not deceived. Joshua picks up the very same language when you go into the land of of Canaan, when they cross the Jordan, when they start possessing the land. Joshua gives the same address at the end of his life. He says, be careful that you're not deceived. Be careful that you walk in the ways of the Lord. Be careful that you don't forget the words of the law because they they will guide you, they'll lead you. Then you get into the New Testament and we start seeing Jesus in a more full picture. But as Jesus makes his way back into heaven and, and we are left as the church, crazy thing that God left the church to be the message of the gospel, to carry the message of the gospel to people, we are warned over and over again in the the Pauline epistles, in the the New Testament writings that there is something that we need to do and we need to be careful and we need to keep watch of our faith and how we walk and how we live. And and what does this really mean? Because sometimes I, I think this sounds like stuff your mom says to you, right? You like, remember you're like, you're gonna go do something. Your mom's like, be careful. You're about to leave the house. Oh, be careful, be safe. You're like, yeah, yeah, mom. You know, dads do it differently. Dads watch our kids fall off the playset, and when they fall, we're like, oh, you should have been careful. Should have listened to your mom. It's like, we know you should be careful, but we'll still let you do it because then you learn, right? You know, mom's like, always be careful, be careful. And you're like, from what? I walked outside, you know? Another one of my favorites, like, things that mom says, like, make good choices. And people are like, okay. And and I and I brought our church to this. Like you know, if we don't teach young people. If we don't teach ourselves how to make good choices, it's impossible to make good choices. So the writings of scripture, I'm thankful that these aren't false, shallow warnings where we're told to be careful, where we're told to make good decisions, where we're told and and we're reminded over and over again that uh, there's things that we got to watch out for, look out for. They don't tell us, oh, be careful, and then never tell us of what or how or how to do those things. It's always followed with instruction that leads us closer to jesus it leads us deeper into his word because that is what forms fashions and shapes us to be able to stand for the truth to defend our faith to walk in the ways of god the way jude is talking about because his warning comes to says that even in the church there will be those that rise up from time to time now this isn't a time to look at your neighbor and be like you're an evil person or you're a deceiver No, no no we don't we let God work on some of those things and our pastors. But, you know, here's the reality of it is that there will be ideas and ideologies and things that try to creep in where, where the writers of the New Testament says, you need to guard your faith. You need to defend the truth because there's a lot of things out there that sound great, feel great, look great, seem okay, but they will not sustain you. They will actually shipwreck, deceive and bring you further away from God's best for your life than you want to be. And so when we come to some of these things in our lives, we we come to this place, we're like, well, I know I'm supposed to be careful, but I want you to know a few things today in your walk with God and how we need to walk as churches in this day and age, I believe. And I kind of feel like uh, I'm not old yet. Uh, my kids tell me I am, but um, kind of like an older man, uh, a dad saying like, look, there's some things I think we need to know as our churches begin to grow and they're built, and I actually believe that uh, there, there's a stability coming to churches that are going to thrive, but uh, with that comes the need to teach, mentor, and disciple uh, all, all of our generations. So whether you're 3 or 39 or 68 or older than that, because you know until you're 93, these problems that we're facing don't go away. I would like to believe that sometimes by the time we get to our 70s, 80s, and 90s, we've worked some of those things out, but I've watched older people all of a sudden, after years of serving God, let these voices come in, and they're like, ah, it's not really a big deal. And and their faith kind of gets wish-washy or critical. And then on the other side, we got young people that are like, well, you know, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to walk. God's grace is enough, and uh, yeah, God's grace is enough, but I want you to know the first thing today is how you live determines how you live. That's that's just mind-blowing. Imagine that. How you live will determine how you live. How you live today, how you live in tomorrow, the decisions you make this week, the ways you choose to go deeper into the things of God or entertain the thoughts of the world and culture around you will determine how you live next month, next year, next decade of your life. See, sometimes we look at life, we're like, well, I'll get things together when I have kids and I need to be in church more and I need to be a good example. No, 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 let me tell you, how you live in your 20s and treat your life and your morality in your early 20s will determine how you live in your 30s, in your marriage and in raising your kids and in your family and all the days of your life. Because decisions are powerful and they actually shape and form our future. This is why the book of Deuteronomy goes into this Uh, be careful how you live. Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses starts talking to the people who have come through the wilderness because he says, you saw all the mighty works of God. You saw all the things that he did for you, but your kids didn't see those things. And he says, so when you get comfortable, when you get to a place where It's not always a struggle. This happens. You kind of transition. You know, I remember being in my 20s. My wife and I, uh, when we lived in uh, one of our townhouses, we never thought we'd own a house with a yard that didn't have 70 other cars out in front of it in the courtyard. Like, you, you know, you're like, you're doing everything again. And then you get a little bit older, and you're like, oh. I'm like, I would like to have the energy of my 20s, but know what I know at 38, and have established the things that I've established now. And when you're young, you think, well, we'll never get there. And, and, but what happens is you get a little bit older and you start to be like, well, that's not as important. We start saying things as like, well, I did my time. I served. We kind of relax a little bit because life is easier for us because we're not trying to make something out of nothing. We kind of get established in our jobs, in our family. And, and the reality is, is Moses was first talking to them. He said, listen, if you aren't careful how you live and how you walk and how you act, your kids are going to see an example that doesn't lead them fully in the ways of God. And, and when it, when we come to the scripture in Deuteronomy, we have to determine how we're going to live because it will shape our tomorrow. And he says, the land that you're about to enter, you need strength to go into it. So you need strength to lead you in the fullness of God. There is never really a good time to pull back in the kingdom of God. I believe God ordains rest. I believe God ordains seasons of refreshing. I, I believe God ordains seasons of strengthening but the minute we say, well, I, I've heard all of this before, I know all this, I'm just going to take it easy when it comes to my involvement in the church, when it comes to pushing um, and, and being an example of who God is for my family and my personal devotions and growth. There's never a great time to pull back from that stuff. Because the minute we do, ideas and other things begin to slip in and, and it starts to form and shape how we live. And the good news is, is that God wants us to have strength to live in his fullness and in his best. That's why Ephesians says, be very careful then how you live. Let's not be unwise, but let's be wise. That's why he says, let's make the most of every opportunity. You got an opportunity to go on vacation, make the most of it. Rest. Enjoy creation. Do the things that fill you up. Make the most of the opportunity. But when you're in a season of building and and, and growing and putting down re- deep roots, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity you have to be an example to your friends, to your neighbors, to show the love of Jesus. Why? Because the days are evil. We have limited time and we have so many things going on in the world, so we can't be foolish, but we need to understand what the Lord's will is. Uh, a pastor named Wayne Cadero wrote a few books, Divine Mentor, Running, uh, Leading on Empty, uh, and, and I was reading one of those again this year, and one of the things that he said that becomes such a great danger to us as believers is he said this. He says, we don't forget that we are Christians. We forget that we are human. And that one oversight alone can debilitate the potential of our future. See, a lot of Christians don't go around forgetting that they're Christians, forgetting that God has a best for them, that God has plan, purpose, things for them to be involved in. What we forget is is that we're human. And when we're not careful, we allow ideologies, immoralities, thoughts, thoughts, things come into our lives. We let ourselves get so tired that we are weak. We're not spiritually built up. And all of a sudden we can fall into traps and things. Why? Not because we forget that God loves us and we want to serve him. It's because we forget that we're human. And in our humanness, in a broken, fallen world, we are susceptible to the things of this world if we are not vigilant, sober, and keeping in step with what God wants for our lives. So I want you to know that today. I want you to know that how you live determines how you live. I also want you to know is that we need to be reminded way, o- way more often than we would like to admit. All of my children will be teenagers come September. Praise God. I was a youth pastor for about 15 years, and uh, you know, when all three of your kids are in youth group, it's a different story. And the amount of times that uh, I'd be like, hey, guys, and any one of my kids, don't forget. And they'd be like, Dad, I know. I know. I know. I know. And sometimes I want to look at me like, you just know everything, don't you? You know absolutely everything. I can't tell you and this and that. And, and so, you know, as a parent, you're like, okay, just trying to be nice, just trying to remind you. But I think we do that as adults as well. You know, we can rag on teenagers for not wanting to be told what to do. But like as adults, we come to church and be like, why is he preaching this message again? I know. Like, yeah, he's 38. I've been in church as long as he's been alive. I know. We do those things. You know, church people sometimes were absolutely the worst when it comes to receiving and hearing the word of God in a fresh way because my wife didn't get saved till she was, uh, 18 and we would pastor these kids in youth group and she, she's like, she, she would have all these grace. I'm like, what are these kids doing? Like they, they say they love Jesus and I know where they were Friday night after youth group and they're still kind of, you know, half hung over on Sunday morning when they're showing up to church and it takes about a year or two for it to kick in that like I really got to surre- surrender my life to Jesus and my wife's like that's fine and she would walk with them and talk with them every time that that have a rough weekend then mess up and she'd pray with them and love them she's like because Jeremy one day they're going to get it and there'll be no going back and she goes well what I don't get is all these Christian kids that they've had this blessing they've known about God's best they've had this covering because they grew up in a, in a great home they don't experience things like my wife did uh, growing up like some of these other kids did growing up, and they just take it for granted. They're so bitter against the church. I said, yeah, I know, they're the worst, because they look at you, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I know, and they do all the right things, say all the right things, and their parents think they're fine, and I would look at them as youth pastors. I'm like, your kid is a little devil. They are lying to you. They are so deceptive in their attitude and some of those things, and Brandy's like, how do you have grace for them? I said, because I was that kid. It's one of those things that, you know, as parents, as leaders, as people, as the family of God, the reason we need to continually set an example is because we can get so familiar with it. What we've actually modeled to Christian young people is church is a thing we go to. It's something we do. It's not a life we live. And we got to come back to this place where we get rid of this attitude that just says, well, don't tell me that again. I already know. No matter how many times I read the word of God, I'm constantly shocked and in awe that the new things that he shows me or the things he reminds me of that I'm like, I'm sorry, Lord. Like I may have been preaching for the last 20 years, but I, I forgot, I gotta fix this area of my attitude. I was talking to a pastor who uh, was preaching out at camp. I dropped my kids off at camp this week and I to talking one night and went back on, the next day, and I saw him, and he says, I had to go rewrite all my messages just because the, the, it was a different people group than I thought was gonna be here, way way too many young kids. And he's like, I put all this prep time in this. Thing. He goes, he was like, and God just told me to fix my attitude. I'm like, really, preaching 30 years, he's still telling you that? He goes, oh, he's still telling me that. And he goes, probably quicker than you want to, the older you get. I'm like, thanks, good reminder. But it was encouraging me, to me to see that here's a guy that could say, I could put this on coast mode. I've preached so many sermons, so many things. Like, well, I know what is like, no, no. He had it in his heart to say, God, if, you're, if you need to adjust my attitude, I'm going to do what you want. And I think that should be our heart and our attitude in the church. And when God calls us to things and how to walk, we need to be reminded way, often, way more often than we would like to admit See, in the book of Jude, verse 5, he says, so I want to remind you, though you already know these things. Jude's kind of trying to be like that. It's like, I know that you know, but I'm telling you again. Because he knows he's going to get this response from the church. Jude, why are you writing this? Paul wrote this to us. Peter wrote this to us. Who are you? You're just another guy. He's like, no, no, I know that you know these things, but I want to remind you again. See, Matthew Henry said this preaching is not designed to teach us something new in every sermon. Like, if you think you came here to learn something new from me today, well, you're sorely mistaken. It's not to teach us somewhat that we knew nothing of before, but rather it's to put us in remembrance, to call to mind the things forgotten, to affect our passions and to engage and fix our resolutions that, that our lives may be answerable to our faith. Now, that's an interesting thing. We need lives that are answerable to our faith. We have a lot of people walking around that say, well, I'm a Christian and the grace of God covers me, but their lives that they live do not answer to the faith that they claim to have to the morality, to the the word of God, to the things that he calls us to. And they said, no, 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 don't put that on me. But no, no, preaching is not here to tell you some profound, incredible thing. It's here to remind you of the things forgotten. It's here to remind you of the grace of God that took you out of where you were and showed you how to live differently so you could find freedom in your relationships, freedom in your heart, all of these things. And it reminds us and it calls us back. But we need to be reminded way more than we would like to think. Let me tell you this, I have in my notes that Sundays are not enough, but I guess for Kingdom Church, Saturdays are not enough, so you'll go to Sundays eventually, and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one thing to say this though, a weekly message is not enough for you. But then you get all these people, it's like, yeah, but I know, and I love Jesus, and I do my own personal prayer life and devotion, so I don't need church all the time, because I can grow on my own. Now, I'll tell you another thing, that's not enough either. And we have the church really split into two camps, and they're, they're kind of divided on this thing. And, and we get a lot of people that... They 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 go and they say, well, yeah, I, I come once every four to six weeks, and this is my church, and I mean, I'm good, though. Great sermon, pastor, but I've just really been studying this and listening to this podcast and that, and I'm growing. Uh, but can I tell you what happens with people like that? They They say that they're growing. They say they're answerable to their faith, but they're not answerable to a community that can protect them and keep them from all the thoughts that the world is throwing at them. We have such a culture that will throw every idea at you. I don't know what it is today because I know we just went through all this Roe versus Wade. We went through this argument, that argument, all these things. Whatever the next, whatever storm on social media is going to be, can I tell you that as the church, your call is to be rooted in your relationship with Jesus and answerable to a community of faith that holds you to truth not to ideas and opinions. So you have that one camp, but then you have a camp over here and you have all these church people like, I'm so good. I go to church every Saturday at Kingdom. I even go to saints sometimes on a Sunday. And then Pastor Harrison and Pastor Brett and I, we all tell each other where you guys have been. And then they turn into what I call Backseat Christians. Because I watched it growing up in youth group. I've watched it as a youth pastor for years. You know what that is? You know, do you know what the little ledge in the back of your car is for? You know where the windshield, there's that little ledge there? That's where you keep your Bible until next Sunday because that's the only time you need it, right? It's funny because it's true. And we have a whole generation. Well, I go to church and I worship and I'm in the presence of God, but nothing all week long. You know, my wife told one of the women's groups she was walking through a Bible study with, she she says, listen, I love my husband, but his preaching is not enough for you. In this day and age, in this culture, if you don't know the word for yourself, if you're not going deep, if you don't know what truth is, and all of these things are coming at you through social media, you need to know and you need to be reminded. And so the preaching on Sunday or Saturday or whatever day is to call into remembrance the things that God spoke to your heart all week long, maybe last month, maybe last year. And until we get the church together saying, I need this deep spiritual depth and I need the community of faith because I need the preaching of the word and I need people beside me that say don't listen to that teaching don't listen to that ideology it's false it's going to lead you into something you don't want to be caught in we're going to be left short sobering thought I was telling Amy about this this week and uh, my wife and I decided this year we were just going to get into the word more than we've ever been in so we've both been through the entire bible twice and now we're doing the New Testament and the Minor Prophets. And in the fall, we're going to take the whole church through the Bible again in 90 days. Well, when I say the whole church, I mean out of everyone, probably the 15 people who will do it with us. But the, the goal would be the whole church. Because there's something about getting the word in you that changes you. And uh, we were talking about this and, and the depth of it and what it does and how it washes over you. And, and everyone says, well, I don't have time. And my wife says, I'm in this women's group. And they all tell me how they, you know, it's like, I get it. Small kids, life's busy, all this stuff, young moms. You know, uh, young adults, you could say, I'm busy with school, university, part-time job, all this stuff. And she's like, but then the next moment, they'll tell me about all the shows that they've watched, and they all know what they've all watched. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating, hon. And then I get in the vehicle with my friend Dean, and the radio's on, and it was on 930 The Light, and... Yeah, I don't know, 9.30, the light, AM, right? Come on, Sydney's like, yes, AM, Christian radio. Or maybe it was uh, Shine, but on Sunday nights, um, there's preaching, so I think it was David Jeremiah or someone, and he's talking about the Word of God. And he said this, he says, did you know that you can listen through the entire audio Bible in 72 hours? If you listen straight through. I was like, well, you can't listen straight through. He goes, but then did you also know that the average North American consumes 72 hours of television every two weeks? And then we all say, oh, we don't have time. Come on, church, we gotta, we gotta remind ourselves that we need the word of God. Sundays and Saturdays and, and a few verses here and there is not enough. Uh, my friend John Stretch, uh, he said, last Sunday after church, he said, you know, the average person who says they do their Bible reading daily, it's about seven minutes. And I'm just saying with the culture we're living in, with the, the times that we are facing, we are called to serve God in our generation. So it doesn't matter if we think it was easier for Christians before or harder for Christians before or the world's so bad or there's so much to fight against. It doesn't matter. We are called to serve God in our generation. So what we need to do is we need to know our God and know his ways so we can stand for our faith and defend the truth. This is why I believe Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, he wrote this. He goes, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. And even though you already know them and you're standing firm in the truth that you've been taught, it's only right that I should keep reminding you as long as I live. That's what our job is as preachers. It is not to to show you something new. It's great when we have vision. It's great when God shows us somewhere we're going. But our primary purpose in bringing the word is to call you to a place where you remember the word of God. That even when you're standing strong, we remind you how to continue standing strong. Because there will be a day that some weird doctrine or wind blows against your life and you're going to seem, you're going to feel like this might be okay. Your emotions are going to tell you, why is this wrong? Why shouldn't I accept this? And what you need is the word of God deep in your life to show you truth. You need a community around you that keeps you from stumbling and shows you that God's way is better than all the things that we could invite into our lives. And though we should know a lot of these things, we don't always remember. Because people who are deceived or people who fall into some immoral thing, I don't think they wake up one day and just decide, I'm just going to be deceived and immoral today. No, they come to a place where they're tired, they're weak, they haven't kept their guard up. And the things that they know, they kind of let some things slip through and it starts to, to latch on. And so what Jude really does is, I didn't share this whole message with you last Sunday, great Sunday summer message. I talked about deception, immorality, and division in the church. I mean, that was a fun one message. But the thing is, is we need to be reminded of these things and how even when we think we're standing strong, uh, they can come into our lives. But the problem is we, rather than going deeper into the things of God and the ways of God and and constantly being reminded, we've actually played this game where we try to see how close we can get. You know, it's like a mousetrap game or a water fountain. When we were growing up as kids, we would go out to my grandparents' farm out by Westlock and if we would get bored, especially in the winter and there wasn't a lot to do outside, we had this game where we would set mousetraps on the table and we would convince our younger siblings that they could set it off without getting their finger caught. And we would like do this as a game, right? And I'm not talking about like those plastic ones now that you squeeze and it's like, I'm talking that full-on metal snap action that like seriously could have broke fingers. And like, you know, we would, you know, we were so mean, right? So this is deception, at its best, you know, uh, myself and uh, some of my older cousins, we would tell like my brother and some of their younger siblings like, oh, you can do it, you're fast, you're so good, you're so amazing, you won't get hurt. And that's what the enemy tells you, you're like, oh, this isn't really that bad. You'll have a thrill, it'll be okay, you'll get in, you'll get out, it'll be fine, nothing really, like, and one day your hand just gets caught and you're injured, and you're hurt, and you're trapped. And we play these games, and, and, and then we wonder, why why do I have to be reminded? And it's worse. So you know, see, I, I think this. It's better to be reminded when you're standing strong, and you're walking in the ways of God. i we're told, hey, remember that this is bad for you. This is going to hurt your relationship. This is going to hurt your walk with God. Uh, it, because I, I'd rather be the guy that if you, you mess up, and you slip, I'm going to be like, hey, well, let's walk, and let's get back to those things. But like that's the thing. Christians are bad for this, too. You know, you, someone gets hurt and caught in a trap and they never walked beside them or warned them before and then their hand is stuck in a trap and they're like, I told you so. You should have done this and that. It's like, well, where were you yesterday when I started doing this? And so sometimes church, when a friend says, hey, like, I'm praying for you and I'm kind of concerned, like, about this area of your life, are you okay? Take the warning then. But all too often we need to be reminded much more than we would like to admit, it's like the water fountain at the mall, right? You always tell your kid, "Don't get too close, don't get too close, don't lean over, don't look in." And before you know it, somebody's wet and gets new clothes. And uh, I can't remember which kid it is, but kid it was. But you know, that happened to us, right? And you're just walking and you're trying to give freedom. And you know, before you know it, kid's in the water fountain. You got to go and buy a whole new outfit. But then you know, it probably was me when I was younger. You get this idea, it's like oh man, if I just get wet in the water fountain, I get new clothes. Well, the second time you ride home wet, you know, like it's, uh, you kind of just ended that trip. But we need to be reminded that God wants to work his truth and his grace in our lives and and that, you know, uh, the power and purpose of God for us is so great, but we need one another. We need that depth of the word. We need all of those things. You know, the last thing I kind of want you to know, and then we're going to wrap it up is that You know, just as much as you need to know that how you live determines how you live and how much you need to know that we need to be reminded more than we would like, I want you to know that you're called. And this is what Jude opens the book with. He goes, you know, I'm writing to those who are called of God. And when you're called, it means you're loved, but I actually need us to know that when you're loved, it means that you need to be sanctified. Because we we do a lot of teaching on the love of God and the grace of God, but actually when we fully look at the love and grace of God, we actually have to look at sanctification and holiness. In Jude verse 1, it says this, this letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of scholars have looked at this and they say, yeah, this is Jude talking to believers. When you have received and accepted the grace of God, you have been called of God. You've been called into his family. You've been called to the works that he prepared for you long ago. Your works don't save you, but God has called you to do some things in this life for his glory and for his purpose. And it talks about the called ones. But there's another connotation here. Jude's basically writing, he's saying, listen, I'm writing to anyone who would say you call yourself a Christian. Anyone who would say, I'm calling myself by the name of Christ. Because can I tell you that when you call yourself by the name of Jesus, the scripture then goes on and says that God is gonna love you, he's gonna keep you, but it also means we have to live worthy of that calling. Ephesians 4, verse one, Paul said, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, if you've been called by Jesus, yes, you're loved by him, but that actually means sanctified. You look at other translations, it says, uh, to those who have been called by God, sanctified and preserved. See, to be loved is to be challenged and changed. I love my kids with all my heart, but I love them so much that I won't hesitate to stop them from doing something that's going to hurt them. I won't hesitate from calling out an attitude or an action that is going to lead them down a path of destruction. And just because Jesus calls us as we are, he doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about what you've done. He calls you to himself. His grace covers you. He washes that clean. But then he says, because I love you, I will challenge and change you in your thoughts, in your heart, in your attitude, in your actions. And there is a submission that needs to come to us as believers and to us as a church that says, God, if you're calling us to do something, we're willing to be changed and sanctified. In the Gospel of John, before Jesus goes to the cross, it it, it records this prayer that Jesus is praying to the Father. And it's amazing to me that Jesus never, ever called us out of the world. He called us to live outside of the world, but he never, he never called for God to take us out of the world, to rescue us from the world. He says this in John 17, verse 15, 17, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I want you to keep them safe from the evil one. Doesn't that go right along with what all the apostles said? Be careful. Watch yourselves, defend the truth. Be reminded He says, they don't belong to this world any more than I do, but make them holy by your truth and teach them your word, which is truth. So if we can know and learn that how we live determines how we live and we need to be reminded way more than we would like to admit. I would like to say, I don't need to be reminded as much, but thank God for the Holy Spirit and my wife and I get reminded more often than I want. But it's good for me and I remember that I'm called and because if I'm called of God it means I have to constantly put myself in the place where I'm willing to be changed and loved by God and sanctified and that he won't let me be whoever I want to be or act however I want he will fix my attitude he will change my heart he will speak into areas if necessary but it leaves us with this kind of open question like so now what We just talked about all these reminders, all these things we need to do as a church. What do I do now? What's my next move? And today, I think in our culture and our time, I believe more than ever, we need to be challenged in two areas. And this is what I wanna leave you with today. I just wanna challenge you in two areas for your life. Because next week and the week after that and the months after that, you be a part of the church, part of the community. You will be reminded, you will brought deeper into the ways of God. But I think one of the greatest challenges of our day and age will be these two things. Number one, I wanna challenge you to hold on to the word of God. You need to challenge yourself to make the word of God more of a priority, more of a treasure, more of something you go after more than anything else in this life. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18 says, so commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. It says, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. You know, the tie them on your hands is really, it's like when you wrap a rope around your hand because you want a good grip and you don't want to let go and, you know, you, you want to make sure that doesn't slip. This is what they're saying. saying, get the word of God so wrapped and involved in your life that you have a grip on it that you're not letting go. You're going to hold on to it. You're going to let it be the truth that you live by. You're going to let it be everything in your life. Proverbs chapter 3 says, my son, don't forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. I don't think there's a person in the world that wouldn't say, I want length of days and peace in my life. So let's not forget the word of God. Let's not forget his truth. Let's not Forget that we need to be reminded again and again because this book has answers on how we answer culture, how we answer our emotions, how we answer our desires, how we live according to God's purpose rather than our feelings, our emotions, and the ever-changing tide of culture. So I believe we need to be challenged to hold on to the word of God. But lastly, I believe one of the greatest challenges of our day and age is that we get woke To the ways of God again. We hear so much talk. Oh, you need to get woke. You need to get on side with this. You need this. I'm not interested in any of that. Come on, I want a generation that is so woke to the ways of God that they understand that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our ways. His love and care for people is greater than anything that the world has to offer them. And this is the thing, we need a generation. We need churches that rise up that are not so apt and quick to run to every cultural bent, twist, and turn, but they are so apt to say, no, 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 we're going to wake up to the ways of God. We're going to get back to the ancient truth. We're going to get back on our knees. We're going to open the Word. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're going to believe for miracles. We're going to believe that God is doing something in our day and age. Proverbs 3, verse three to six says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Church, we gotta know the ways of God so we can trust him again. So we honor and acknowledge him in everything we do again. So we lean on him more than we lean on anything else. And sometimes we just have to adjust our lean. I'm going to end with this story. When Brandy and I had our first child, our daughter, who will be 16 this year. First time parents, we didn't know what we're doing. And, uh, you know, we thought we were going to die because our daughter didn't sleep through the night until she was like five, six months old. Oh, what we learned after having two more children after that. We thought, oh my goodness, our lives are over. My wife's not sleeping. I can't control my house anymore. I can't fix anything. And, and it was like everything felt upside down. And so we found uh, out that our daughter um, would stay asleep mostly in this like little bouncy chair. So it was like this chair that they sit in and it has like the toys, you put them in during the day. So I just took the toys off and literally for a few months, like I would put her on my side of the bed, on the floor in that chair. And like, if she would fuss, I would just like half asleep, bounce the chair. That's how we got through the night. And one day we go to the doctor and the doctor's like, hmm, oh, and like my wife, first time mom, like, oh my goodness, what's wrong? What happened? All this stuff. She's like, have you ever noticed that like her head leans this way all the time? We're like, no. He's like, yeah. She's like, like, tell me like what kind of sleeping habit she has. All like, And we go through, we're like, well, to be honest, we tell the doctor, she's been sleeping in this bouncy chair beside our bed because it's the only way we get to sleep. He goes, oh, well. Obviously, her head is leaning to one side all the time. So this side of her neck is longer than the other side of her neck. And my wife's horrified. the doctor says, no, it's okay. So we had to do like baby physio and stretch her neck. She's beautiful, healthy, everything's good. Stretch out her neck the other way. And you know what? I I just want to tell you this to encourage you. You might feel like the leans in your life and the pull to the things of the world and the stuff that you can't get away from is so strong. But I'm telling you, when you work the word of God into your life, when you work uh, the, the relationships that are good for you into your life, when you say, God, I need to adjust my lean, God will strengthen you to be able to pull the other way so you can walk in the ways of God with your head held high, knowing that you're living in truth, knowing that you're living in God's best. So don't ever get so discouraged because you messed up or you, you've gone one way. Just say, God, it's time to adjust my lean. God, I need your strength. I can't do this on my own. And that's the beautiful thing about Jude. He says, God, who called you, he loves and sanctifies you, but he keeps you and this word keeper preserves means this is how amazing the grace of god is though that we have an ownership though we have a part to walk worthy of the calling we were never called to do it on our own so if it's grace that has saved us it is the grace of god that will keep us and preserve us and help us overcome and become who we're called to be amen Man, why don't we stand this morning I'm going to let the band play the song but I just want to leave you with this. Let's hold on to the word of God. Let's let's know him and know his ways and let's let's become who he's called us to be in every area of our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We hope it blessed you and that you're encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca and we would love to connect with you. Be blessed as you continue your week.